Isaiah says that, but mm-hmm. that, I mean, just because Isaiah says that, is that, that's just one theology. In the, what, but you're trying to build a theology, right? So I know. do you like want me not to bring in other biblical texts that no, I contradict do. that no, theology? I, no, oh, that's okay. totally fine. I, I think to be honest, yeah. one has to recognize that if one is trying to construct a biblical theology, which as Levinson said, is a totally Christian enterprise and, and problematic for a variety of reasons. But I think to be honest, if one does want to engage in this kind of vain effort, you have to recognize that there's a variety of theologies. That's why it. Levinson says uh-huh. it's a problem. There are too many It's a problem theologies. for most Christian theologians, it, but not yeah. for one. There are too many... Oh my there God. There is one man. <laughs> It's grandiose conception born, of the self. Born of, of darkness. <laughs> born of darkness. Oh twisted and evil. Full of gastrointestinal disorders. That's, correct. That's right. <laughs> there is one man who steal has on the stomach outside. issues and yeah. can't eat most foods. Mm-hmm. So um, do you want to go first and introduce yourself and talk about why we're doing this? Sure. So, uh, okay. My name is Dan Peterson. I am a pastor in the Lutheran Church. I am a pastor at Queen Anne Lutheran Church in particular. I was a professor, a former colleague of uh, my co-host, my colleague and friend here, Beatrice Lawrence, first at Pacific Lutheran University and then Seattle University. I've taught accordingly at Lutheran and Jesuit universities. My PhD is in uh, systematic and philosophical theology, which is essentially a degree in theoretical kicking with an emphasis in improvised conceptual explosives. You never practiced that. I never practiced that. (laughs) And uh, I've only tried to deliver that a hundred times without (laughs) without stumbling over one of the one of the words, and I stumbled even here. If you noticed, it's okay. You're beautiful in your humanity. Oh, thank you. That's so nice. Such grace from the tradition Mm -hmm. across the river. Mm -hmm. Much appreciated. (laughs) I'm Beatrice Lawrence, and I'm a Pisces, and I'm an ENFP, (laughs) and I'm a four on the Enneagram. And I'm not a linear thinker. I'm a professor at Seattle University where I do Hebrew Bible and Jewish studies. Um, And my degrees in Hebrew Bible and Jewish hermeneutics, which means I just read old texts for fun. And I know Dan from Seattle University, where I knew right away that he was great when I met him. That's nice. No, we are not dating, though. I feel like I need to say that because I say these nice things about Mm -hmm. you. Okay, but you can take that off if you want because it doesn't matter. Please understand that B and I are not dating. (laughs) We are friends. And I would like to take a second attempt at introducing myself. You are much smoother than you think yes. you are. So my therapist says I have a really strong inner critic. Nothing is nothing we're going to do is perfect. Hey, Christian theologian, do you have a thing about perfection? I do. That's I have like, a, yeah. It's ironic that I'm a Lutheran pastor. The entire tradition was founded on Martin Luther's rediscovery of justification by grace, that yeah. I am totally and unconditionally loved by something more, namely God. Yeah. I understand the theology, but living it is a whole other matter. No, I totally get that. So, I mean, I, it's probably one of my biggest struggles, actually, is, is to learn deep self-acceptance. And my hope in becoming a pastor in this tradition yeah. was that I could cultivate that sense of self-acceptance by uh, an even greater sense of being accepted. And that's not my language. It comes from one of my favorite theologians, but it really has been, I've realized, a struggle for me. 
You have cultivated an incredible pastoral presence. I have done what I can to you have. Tr- make a transition. You've been very so, pastoral for me when it's hitting the fan. I have. Oh, yeah. Actually, everything that I say, you already know. What's You're what? like a, a step ahead of me on everything that I no, say. No, no, like, supporting yeah, someone is yeah. not, supporting somebody is not about saying something they know or not. It's about like being present and saying that must really suck. Yeah, and, I've and gotten pretty good at that. <clears throat> you were very good yeah. at that. I am an INTJ on the okay. Myers-Briggs, the second rarest personality type, so I can't even get that perfect. <laughs> I am an Aries, and I am a seven on the Enneagram, which means that I indulge in possibilities and that I am the same number as Charlie Sheen, which what? is unfortunate. Yes. But he's by winning. He is by winning. Uh, that's true. And... <laughs> And I, I aspire <laughs> to such greatness myself. Oh, my gosh. Uh, my by winning now is, is pastoring, but I still have this intense love for um, my training, which is in systematic and philosophical theology, which is the attempt once Humpty Dumpty, the Humpty Dumpty of faith has fallen off the wall, to put Humpty Dumpty back together in a meaningful way. And I felt like I did that for some students at Seattle University and at Pacific Lutheran University. Definitely. I think what happens, however, is that those of us who were raised in a faith tradition, I can't speak for the Jewish tradition or the Muslim tradition, but for the Christian tradition, there were many of us who were raised in it. And uh, many of us who went to college, who engaged in critical thinking, who uh, uh, felt themselves distant from the church just decided that Humpty Dumpty belonged on the ground, mm-hmm. all broken to pieces, and, and accepted that. I, I was never content with that. There was a period where I was, and I think I still am, uh, critical when it comes to my faith tradition, quite critical in some cases. But I do think there's always this possibility for reconstruction, and that's what really interests me. Uh, the creative edge of any religious tradition interests me, whether that's Judaism, Christianity, or Islam. So I'm always fascinated, especially by the mystical sub-traditions, and find that the most creative work of these traditions typically occurs there. I don't march lockstep with most Christianity. And the way I used to explain it to my students, I think I, I shared this with you, was that in the cafeteria of Christianity, I sit at one of the loneliest tables. Oh, away from the band geeks. Away ahead. from the band geeks, yeah. And and. And I think a lot, of pe- a lot of Christians in this cafeteria, frankly, are bullies. And uh, I, I'm not going to stand for that, and I don't agree with a lot of the mm-hmm. theology that I hear, if you could call it theology in some cases. But I do think that I have to make a space for this other kind of Christianity, and my hope is that perhaps by listening to this podcast that some folks find themselves drawn to, uh, to a seat at the table. Yeah, I totally can't can help with that. Really? <laughs> well, you can't help with that? What do I you mean? No, I can't. Well, I can't help draw people to a sort of new um, form of Christianity. Although it does matter where you see creativity. Well, and I would say by drawing people to it, I simply mean by making known that this is a, that by bringing up and helping make known that this is a possibility. Um, it's not my job to draw them. God does that. It's my job. You have to say that again. You said it too God quietly. God does that. Okay. You know, that's, um, but 
I think just to create that space, one of my mentors used to say, I asked him once, I said, what do you do with the fact that there are all these Christians out there who are saying horrible, disparaging things? And he said to me, he said, I tell other people, I'm not that kind of Christian. And that's kind of the first step. So Mm -hmm. I feel like there needs to be another version of Christianity broadcast that has been marginalized in our culture. And that's the kind of Christianity that uh, chews instead of swallows whole. Do you have any similar sense of, I don't know, responsibility or call in the Jewish tradition? No. Okay. That's it. (laughs) Um, I don't, the Jewish tradition doesn't need me to do that. Okay. Um, Uh, I think the state of Christianity being what it is, there is need for for what I I believe you, and I trust trust what you're saying, and Mm -hmm. I believe you. But the crises facing the Jewish world today and the way creativity is expressed in the Jewish world today are not the sorts of things we're going to be talking about Mm -hmm. here. We could. Um, I don't think we're going to get into the American Jewish relationship with Israel here. Probably not. Yeah. No. And um, or we could the mention Theodore Herschel, though. State of Theodore Israel. Theodore Herzl. Or yeah. Herzl. Yeah. I just, just, if you will, it dude. If you will, it dude. It is no dream. Yeah. Yes. But and Big then Lebowski I don't reference. think we're going to end up talking about um, Theodore Her- Herzl. Herzl. Yes. H e r z l. I said Herschel. Herschel. There's, yeah. prob- there's a Jew named Herschel Is somewhere. There? I'm sure. It's <laughs> like a super. There's Heschel. There's a Jewy. That's a Jewy name. Yeah, it's Heschel, in the Herschel. it's in the Jewish family of names. It's totally just in the like Jewish Peterson family. is. <laughs> totally. Very common Jewish. Very name. common Jewish name. Yeah, Smith. Another common Jewish name. I think that uh, and the way creativity happens. Oh, and also I don't think we're gonna probably get a chance, or maybe we will, to talk about the gulf between orthodoxy and non-orthodoxy mm. and the. Um, incredible strife and what that's doing to mm. populations. And we probably will get a chance to talk about the rise in anti-Semitism globally. Mm-hmm. And um, and creativity in Judaism is expressed in writings, sure, but there's a lot of creativity expressed in art and in ritual. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, rituals are just being created constantly for things that weren't didn't used to be recognized. Mm. Um such as coming there's a, out. A ritual for divorce, isn't there in the Well, Jewish there's tradition? always been a ritual, okay. but it's not a super feel good, let's help mm-hmm. you feel better. Right. It's actually pretty shaming on the woman. Oh, wow. Yeah. The, huh. uh, it's pretty shaming. And so now people have created an alternative to um, that or? other things you can do to mark these transitions. Okay. If you're following Jewish law, this is another thing we this don't. This is great. Is, if you're following Jewish law, you have to jump through the following hoops to be considered by the Jewish world to be divorced. Okay. But then you can do these other rituals that will mark the transition in a way that helps you heal. So, I mean, those are the factors that determine how things happen to Jews in their Jewish lives in that way. Halakha, and then also recognizing new needs. There are rituals now for um, choosing a child's gender. There are rituals for the end of your first serious relationship. Wow. Um, there's, I'm still awaiting that one. This is, by the way, this is ritualwell.org, greatest <laughs> website ever. I fully ignored what he just said. This is shameless plug. Yeah. No, it's not mine. It's not yours. No, it's not mine at all. It's done by what's, the... What's the website again for Ritualwell.org, and it's the Reconstructionist Movement. Right? Wow. And it is amazing. That's cool. Sorry, what did you say? You're still waiting for your yeah, first serious right. relationship? Yes. To end. <laughs> nice. 
Do you want to talk um, about dating? You want to talk about no, challenges to theology? To we can talk about dating. Okay. I, yes. What has made me question we could talk God? About that. Dating. Really? No. But sort of. No, but sort yeah. of. Okay. I think let's let's finish up this conversation on ritual, right? So I went to a uh, uh, seminar about a year ago on death and dying and how to prepare for it when it comes to the. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, I just pushed his hands off the table because he was touching the table. It's, it's, it's I'm your Jewish mom. I'm like, yes, move your hands. Move your hands. Okay. So it's you got schmutz on your shirt. <laughs> okay, go ahead. So, uh, so death and dying, and what I what intrigued me was that it was it was at a Lutheran church uh, in on the east side of Seattle, and what intrigued me was that all the people who were doing the talking were not church related. They were all secular. So we heard from a lawyer, we heard from uh, a nurse, we heard from somebody, uh, a mortuary home, right? So all of these things are being explained. And then finally, at the end of the seminar, the pastor gets up and she kind of gives her, her read on things. And I'm thinking, you know what? All of the jobs the church used to have in terms of preparing someone for and ultimately preparing and burying, they were all done by the church, right? But the age has come where all of those things have been farmed out. Outsourced. And outsourced, exactly. So, so what's left? And so I asked that question to the pastor. I said, where is, where is the church needed? What, what purpose does religion have? Mm-hmm. And she goes, and I'll never forget this, she goes, people need ritual. Oh, very much. And I started realizing in my own work as a pastor how important ritual is, not only for end of life, but just the other day I did a reaffirmation of wedding vows. Yeah. And there's something about the space and the experience of time in the context of a, of a ritual that that changes. It changes the way we experience time. It changes the way we experience yeah. space. It changes the way we relate to one another. And I don't know how or in what way God is involved. I would, I would imagine that God probably gets tired showing up to some of these rituals because some of them are pretty bad. But there are some rituals that I think, particularly those in my congregation, that are good. I told I used to I used to be a, uh, an advisor for a group of Lutheran students at PLU, and they, there was a guy uh, also named Dan who would come in and he'd bring his guitar and he'd sing you know contemporary Christian songs. I can't deal with that. I've got a lot of issues, and one of them is I cannot deal with contemporary Christian music, contemporary <laughs> Christian rock, whatever you call it. I'm not interested unless it's U2, unless it's Bono. Then I'm listening. Christian? Yes, he's a Christian. So, okay. my point. I told him that if he wanted me to continue attending and they needed me to attend, they needed to have a faculty advisor there for some reason because I think they were using uh, office space at the university after hours. I said, if you want me to, to, to attend, you're going to need to include one hymn in every service you do. And then I said, because God only hears hymns. Oh, you did? Yes, I did. Yep, and then I threw my papers down and I walked out. Did you really? It was beautiful. Did you yeah. storm out? It was very dramatic, Did yeah. You? Mostly, <gasps> mostly for him, because he had his own things going on. But for me, too. I mean, I thought, wow, you really... You stormed out? I did. I don't think I've ever stormed out yeah. of a room. I did mentally. I, oh, I God. actually just stayed there. Okay. 
They did sing. They did start singing hymns, though. Anyway, my point is that ritual is important, whether you are Christian or Jewish or Muslim, whether you are really any kind of human being needs ritual. And I think secular space has, in some ways, um, diminished something that is so important to us as human beings. Why can't there be secular ritual? I, that's why I use the word diminished. I think there is secular ritual, but I think that secular rituals, because they don't have the thousand plus year history that the great three religions of the West have, haven't uh, had the opportunity to develop ritual the way it's developed in the in the religious traditions. Now, having said that, I think you could say that maybe it's the last thing to be outsourced. So my sister and her family go to a secular humanist synagogue where they do all the Jewish things and they do all the rituals and nobody believes in God. It is decidedly atheist. Wow. Does that make the ritual diminished? I don't know. I don't know. I, what's interesting is, I mean, even by retaining the, the, the form, if not all the content of the, of the ritual, how it's not entirely secular, if you think about it. It's it, Jewish, but it's you Jewish. see, the problem is that Judaism doesn't follow the rules of Christianity. You can't take the categories of Christianity and apply it to Judaism. Right. You can't say ritual functions this way in Christianity, so it has to function that way in Judaism. It no, doesn't. I'm it not can saying be, that, though. But it can be ritual devoid of God. And yeah. it can still have a ritual value. I've done ritual devoid of God. Yeah? Yeah. The, but you a, said it had... diminished it. No, I'm saying that when, uh, when it's sec- completely secular, that's what I mean. So when, for example, a mortuary offers a service, okay. to me that's something that's being done by people who are typically secular or in some cases secular, and they don't have the, the, the wealth of the religious tradition that provides, in this case, the structure or the form of the ritual, even if the, the, con- the theological content is drained. Hmm. So, and I have done uh, services without God's name. I did a, a requiem uh, for God as a, as a Lenten service. Um, so, uh, God is dead, basically. Here? So, no, okay. I, I want to keep this job for a while. <laughs> <laughs> That's you no. Know, it's um, so, yeah. There was a um, study a few years back, and I'm not. I am not recalling the name of the study or who did it, and that is bad form. But that ritual is actually the first expression of what we would call religious sensibility. Mm. It's not that belief emerges and then people create rituals. Ritual is actually step one. Yeah. Um, mm. And I think the presence of ritual in Judaism, even in places where it's not about belief in God, sort of attests to that. People do yep. need the rituals, mm-hmm. and uh, rituals dictate life um, and mark, mark those spaces in that way. And I agree with you that way. I just don't know if we have the same view of how the religious content relates to the ritual. There's a great line by D.H. Lawrence. He says, gods die with the exclusive language, but gods die with the men that conceive them, but the God's stuff roars eternally. And what I would say is that gods come and go, but ritual always remains. It's fundamentally an expression of who we are. Heschel saw things like this. Yeah, and I'm learning that as a pastor. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that as well. I knew it academically, but I didn't know it existentially the way I do now as a a pastor. That's why what I was saying earlier about the space and the experience of time. When you're in the laboratory of ritual every, every Sunday, for example, you learn to see it in ways that you would not have otherwise. 
when it comes to rituals without God, I think, again, the advantage of the religious traditions is that they've had centuries to work on these rituals. And so even if God, is, the God content is, is absent, I still think there is a, a pattern in place that reflects the accumulated human wisdom of, of ritual and how, it, uh, and how it works well over the centuries. And that's where I think the value is, or at least the depth can be, that isn't always present in secular expressions of ritual. Mm. I don't know. So. Heschel said that holiness is now in time. Holiness is what? In time. Holiness is not in space anymore. It's in time. Um, Heschel wrote. Say more about that. Uh, in, in his book on the Sabbath, that we don't, that, oh God, there's so much, I mean, you got to read the book. It's not very long, right? Mm. And you've probably read oh, it. Oh, good. I could do it. I hope it just has It's pictures. not very long and it's relatively, and it does. It has wood okay. etchings, actually. Does it really? It. Yes, it has <laughs> pictures. Um, Can I color them? And it's, it's actually relatively uh, repetitive. I mean, he's expressing the same ideas because he really wants you to get them. Hmm. Um, that the, the Sabbath he describes as a palace in time. Hmm. It's not about place anymore, and part of that has to do with Jewish history and leaving, <clears throat> being exiled and being exiled for so long and changing as a result um, as a religious tradition. And where can we encounter God? We encounter God in the, in the rituals that mark our lives and in the rhythms of the calendar and of the hmm. holidays. Hmm. Um, That's beautiful. And on the Sabbath in particular, we have just a little taste of eternity, just hmm. a little bit. He says, eternity utters a day. That's how he describes oh, wow. it. wow. Um, it. And it's really beautiful. Mm. So for him, um, that's the space uh, for all of that. And he lived mm. – uh, someone once asked him, they said, are you um, an observant Jew? And he's, and his preferred description was pious. I am a mm. pious Jew. Why do you think that is? Because he actually – he related – I think he had a strong spiritual resonance with the rituals that he performed. Mm. So that um, he was very, very concerned about people who follow practices, follow laws, whatever – Mindlessly, mm-hmm. and for him, it was very much about being present to the mm-hmm. meaning of every moment. And Love his daughter it. describes their sabbaths together, and it sounds, it sounds incredible. Hmm. That sounds, yeah, that does sound amazing. You should totally read that book. In terms of what we want this to be, though, I sense almost a sense of mission. Like there's something you want to communicate to the world that you want to be available, and you have that impetus behind it. I don't have a sense of mission. Mm-hmm. I think this is going to be fun. Mm-hmm. I love talking with you, and I think other people should get to benefit from what ensues. Okay. And I would like to become famous and get a book deal <laughs> and my own talk show. I feel strongly, and I do have a, a bit of a, a sense of mission, that people need to know that there is an alternative out there when it comes to, in my case, being a member of the Christian faith tradition. I find that Christian radio, Christian television, the Christian presence on the internet, 95% of it I would challenge. And I think there's a problem. The problem is that people who want to challenge the version of Christianity that is dominant in our culture, the version of Christianity that props up a sovereign God who is in control of everything, who plans every minute detail, who micromanages history, and who in the process then becomes complicit in atrocities, not least of which is the Holocaust. I find that that version of God has to die and that people need to know in the clearing that there are other possibilities. I do have a strong sense of mission in that regard. Mm -hmm. 
whether or not people are drawn to that table in the cafeteria of Christianity is completely beyond my control. And frankly, I don't want people to come to that table if they, if they don't feel inclined. But I do want people who are sort of the swing voters of, of Christianity or of religion to know that there is this other possibility, this other side. And I had to discover it for myself by way of my pastor who started to introduce this to me decades ago by way of the college education I had at a Jesuit university. So for those reasons, I feel like what I've discovered needs to be shared with others. And like you, I'm a library nerd. I love to read books. And there is all kinds of hidden treasures in these books. And so my job for five years as a, as a doctoral student was to mine the treasures of these books, to nerd out, to live in a library, and to, uh, in the process, come out of that with an understanding of Christianity that I had not quite yet possessed. And I'm still, of course, growing, and I'm still learning, and I want to learn from other faith traditions. And I think that all of it is, is to show that, hey, these are other options out there. And hey, if you feel this way, if you've been wronged, if, if you've been abused theologically, there are alternatives. So my hope is that a podcast like this makes those alternatives known in a way that is fun and accessible and that it makes us famous. <laughs> I also am hoping, perhaps, God willing, to present a model of a Jew and a Christian talking to each other about ideas with mutual respect and not dealing in apologetics and not forcing themselves to agree about things that they don't actually agree about, because Jewish-Christian dialogue is often marred by that. Um, so I'm hoping for that as well. And also, Dan's just the best. You're the best. I won my junior year high school spelling bee on the word neurotic. <laughs> 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 on the one, it was neurosis, actually. Oh, and, my God. <laughs> and it was kind of, it was prophetic. But it also disturbs me looking back that nobody else in the competition could spell neurosis. <laughs> of course, there were only two other low people bar. in the spelling Oh, really? Game. Yes. Okay, yeah. low bar. And it was after school. It wasn't even official. But oh. anyway. So we're actually going to say goodbye to each other after we get off the equipment. But I guess, oh, what should be our ritual? Should I give you the priestly blessing? That one, should I, I give that to you? I love that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, with the little, with the Vulcan sign. Yeah, that's, that's what the great. priest did. Yeah. Um, I think that we should find a way to say goodbye from Signing a distance. Off. So that from we don't distance. touch each other. Because remember, we have that. I'm sorry, what are you talking about You right always, now? whenever I go to hug you, which is not frequent, Grant. You're not a hugger. I'm not a hugger. INTJs enjoy personal touch with only a, a, a few people. He has hugged me, though, and I, it's, I feel you. really honored. Yeah. I'm and a P, so I'm like, It's awkward. Here. It's weird, right? But it's you you always tell me that uh, you're surprised if we hug, right? I'll stop saying so that. So maybe the, maybe the proper uh, form of goodbye is something that involves saying farewell from a distance. Goodbye, like I'll be saying the... da, da, da. <laughs> I hate to go. I don't know. It's pretty sight. I okay. don't know how to say goodbye. I don't either. Well, goodbye, or we could we could end it the way that we could end it the way that we do uh, the way that we do synagogue or church, right? What do you say at the end? 
You we, sing Adon Olam, and when the song's over, everyone's done. What we say is, first of all, we steal from Judaism. Oh, okay. So we use the we use the um, the benediction that I think's in the Book of Numbers, right? The Lord bless you and that's keep what you. I just said to you in Hebrew. In Hebrew, right? Yeah. So, the, uh, but you sing it, mm-hmm. right? I can chant it. Can you hear that song? Um, you can do whatever you want. I would just say the Lord. I don't know. We should use different names for God. If you right? said the Lord bless you and keep you, I'd be like, um, thanks. I would say, I would say, the deepest ground of all things bless you and keep you. The source and depth of life. Do you want something this serious? Its face shine upon you and be gracious to you. I would just be like, dude, Dan. Nature, naturing. You're looks awesome. Looks upon you with favor and gives you peace. Okay. Yeah, I don't know how to end this. He's so intellectual, and I'm like, I'm going to go home and watch a zombie movie. It's so difficult to say goodbye. I never want to say goodbye to B. That's what makes her such a great friend. Oh, I never want to say goodbye to you either. Is that we we always have these conversations, and they're always fun. They're neurotic. People do leave. I think we need to acknowledge that. Yes, we've uh, people do leave the coffee shop. We empty coffee shops. We empty coffee shops. We do. Next episode, we'll talk about. Exodus thirty two fourteen, which says, And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. Until then, I'm Pastor Dan Peterson. I'm Beatrice Lawrence. Goodbye. <laughs>